Book Dreams, a member of the Podglomerate Network and LitHub Radio. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to Book Dreams, the podcast for everyone who loves books and misses English class. I'm Julie Sternberg. And I'm Eve Yohalem. In each episode of this podcast, we use books as a way to explore questions that fascinate us. And in this episode, we consider so many things, like how the unconscious mind influences the creative process, the lengths women will go to escape a dangerous situation, invisible labor as it pertains to women, especially immigrant women, friendship, partnership, motherhood. Am I missing anything? (laughs) Almost certainly. And the amazing thing is that all of this was inspired by just one novel, How Not to Drown in a Glass of Water by Angie Cruz. Eve and I love this book, and we loved talking to Angie even more. Angie Cruz is the author of four novels. Her book, Dominicana, was the inaugural book pick for the Good Morning America Book Club and shortlisted for the Women's Prize, longlisted for the Andrew Carnegie Medal for Excellence in Fiction, the Aspen Words Literary Prize, and the winner of the Alex Award in Fiction. It was named a Most Anticipated or Best Book in 2019 by Time, Newsweek, People, Oprah Magazine, The Washington Post, The New York Times, and Esquire. Angie is the founder and editor-in-chief of the award-winning literary journal Asterisk, and she's currently an associate professor at University of Pittsburgh. How Not to Drown in a Glass of Water was a New York Times notable book and a New York Times book review editor's choice. Around the time we spoke with Angie, there was a gigantic ad for How Not to Drown in a Glass of Water that took up an entire side of a building on 7th Avenue. We started our conversation by asking her what that felt like for her. It's really interesting when things like that happen because where I get this information first is usually these images that came to me came from my family members who work in that area. And they took a photograph, one of my cousins, and said, holy shit, you wrote a book? (laughs) (laughs) So what is interesting to me is that as a writer who's a daughter of immigrants, who's been doing this for a very long time, this is my fourth book, I feel that every time I have a moment like this, my first moment like this was when I was featured in Good Morning America for the Minicana, where it was on the Turbotron in Times Square. And my brother said, oh, interesting, Maybe you'll have a career in this. And now my cousin's like, oh, shit, you wrote a book. It looks like a big deal. It's so interesting what validates your writing life to people that are not really in the literary world, right? Yeah. Who are just coming to it as, let's say, mainstream audiences might come to it. And um, in some ways, you know, being on a billboard, yeah, it's really fun and exciting. What it does, though, for me is that it makes the book visible to readers that might not necessarily live in the bookstore. Your book has a fabulous opening line, which is 
My name is Carla Romero, and I came to this country because my husband wanted to kill me. Which is true, but as with so much else in Cara's life, there's much more to the story. I don't want to give too much away, but early on, Cara explains that her husband wanted to kill her because of something she did that enraged him. She says, but I knew then and I know now, I did it because I wanted to change my life. That's what we have to do. We step in the shit on purpose, so we're forced to buy new shoes. I love that. I'd love to talk about this idea some more, starting with who is the we, and why does change require life-threatening action? When I wrote that line, it's actually the first line I wrote for this novel, and I kept it. You know, I was on a subway platform, it was 2017, and I was thinking of doing some career changes in my own life. So when Cara Romero emerged and she told me the sentence, I quickly wrote it down. And I was curious as to why she just said this to me. Um, this is the thing about writing. I teach in an MFA program and I'm always, you know, students are always trying to figure out like how we do something when we write that works. And there are a lot of techniques and tricks and mechanics and fiction and you could definitely get better at it. But one of the things that I find mysterious and wonderful is how the unconscious comes into the writing practice when you're totally present with it. When you're not trying to do something, but when you allow it to do something. When I wrote that line, I wasn't thinking about it at that time. I just followed Cara Romero's story. But um, many months later, I see how femicide is one of the um, leading causes of death in women in certain parts of Latin America. In Dominican Republic at that moment, it was number one in the world for femicides. And a lot of the cases for femicides were betrayal. Now, I did not register that news when I was writing. It's almost like it was totally not connected. But the beautiful, mysterious thing about writing is that everything you feel and believe and know sort of emerges in the work. The character itself, by me going deeply into who she may be and the whys and the hows, this emerges and it feels very true to a lot of people. A lot of people single out that line and they look back and reflect and say, yeah, you know, now in retrospect, I understand that what I needed to do required something big for me to do it. You use a very particular framework to tell your story. And you've said, I'm quoting you here, there were many different versions of this book before I settled on the one that is being published. And this is because it took me a minute to trust my initial vision of the book. So for listeners who haven't read the book yet, Kata is a 56-year-old Dominican woman who lives in Washington Heights. And after working for 25 years at a lamp factory, she was laid off during the Great Recession. And at the time the book opens, has now been unemployed for two years. She's just been accepted into New York City's senior workforce program, and she's been assigned a social worker who will meet with her 12 times to help her find work. The book is those 12 conversations between Kata and her social worker, although we only hear Kata's side of the dialogue. And we also get to read these official forms that Kata fills out as part of the job search process. So first, how did you arrive at this structure? You know, the book had many different iterations. The first was me downloading, you know, 40 to 50 popular interview questions that I 
had got an answer for a year. Questions like, what are your weaknesses? What are your strengths? What is your dream job? And then having her candidly answer them. And that gave me a lot of material about Kara's life. But a novel is not the story of a life. You know, mm -hmm. the novel is another form. <laughs> so I had to make decisions. And during the Great Recession, there were lots of different um, programs that were initiated for communities that could not re-enter and did not actually, after these programs ended, never re-entered the workforce in any kind of long-term employment. And I thought, oh, that would be interesting if I put a character into a job placement program. But of course, because it's a novel, I decided 12 sessions. I decided it would look in a particular way. I would have never finished the book if I didn't have a constraint like that, I think. Because <laughs> right. Kara has a lot to say. Like she could go yeah. on. <laughs> totally. And you can just go on listening to her because she's right? so charismatic. But those forms, I found them both hilarious and heartbreaking. One example that really struck me was an unemployment insurance benefits claim form. There are a dozen of those typical security questions to choose from. And it's literally impossible for Kata to answer any of them. So these are questions like, what is your grandmother's maiden name? And Kata says, nobody remembers. Or what is the name of your first pet? And Kata says, pet? I don't know how Americans have animals inside the house. And then finally, the last question is, what band poster did you have on a wall when you were in high school? And Kata says, it's true that the Americans don't have any idea what life is for us. So can you say a bit about what the forms show us about the conflict between the personal and the political? You know, I think that the personal is political. And I think that for me, growing up, moving through so many of these documents, both as a child of immigrants where I was constantly translating or helping facilitate processes for my family members, and even myself, right? Like I had to also do my own forms, like everything from going through, you know, through the systems to go to college or even right now, I look at these questions and I say, wow, they're so culturally based in a way that, yes, I am highly Americanized. I was born in New York City, raised in New York City, educated in New York City. And I still sometimes struggle with the cultural kind of biases that exist in some of these questions and I then think, what would it be like for someone that didn't have those experiences, that English is not their first language, going through these questions? You know, it's almost like the system fails to invite, right? Like there's ways that we could communicate with each other where we're inviting a person in or we're really making it difficult for them to enter. And I wanted to play with that um, and laugh too about it because it is very tragic. It's very painful, you know, going through the bureaucracy of getting any kind of benefit, moving through any kind of system, the stakes are so high for so many people. There's a beautiful concept in your book that doesn't have an English translation. I'm going to apologize in advance for my pronunciation, which is terrible, but the word in Spanish is desahogo. Mm-hmm. Can you explain what the word means in the context of your story and its characters? El desahogo, the function is really um, where you allow space for someone to desahogarse, which means to undrown from the inside. 
you either talk something to death until you don't need to talk about it anymore, or you cry until you don't have to cry anymore. Mm. But what's most interesting to me about that concept, because we could do that alone, is that in this book, it's really showing how it could be done with community, where we could create space for each other to grieve or to work through talking about something. And in some ways, I think this book is a desahogo for Cara, because she is meeting with this counselor every week and her being able to talk about, you know, her missing son, her, you know, losing her job of like 25 years, um, having to rethink her life, this desahogo that she has where she just talks and talks and talks allows her to create space and connections in her heart and mind to possibly, you know, accept the new reality and change. Motherhood and caretaking is such an important theme in the story. Cara is a mother to Fernando, from whom she's estranged, and she also plays a maternal role in the upbringing of her sister's children, which is a source of conflict between her and her sister. And she provides essential care for a number of her neighbors. You bring so much complexity and nuance to these domestic relationships. And then at the same time, in doing so, you raise really interesting questions like, who is and isn't suited for jobs that echo domestic relationships, like running an at-home daycare, for example? And what is the value of invisible labor? Can you say a little bit about these questions and kind of the interplay between complex personal lives and and work? You know, it's interesting because um, my mother, her main goal was to make sure that I got an education. And my entire family, I feel, to some degree, made huge sacrifices so I can have privileges that they didn't have as first immigrants in the United States. So when I went to the university and I got an education, coming back home, I realized it was this huge canyon between us because there were ways that I was thinking about the world. Was it homophobia or racism or classism? And coming back and being hypercritical with my family about some of the ways they were thinking about those things. And I know a lot of people have this experience. You go to college, you come back, you think you're more woke than your parents, you (laughs) want to burn them down, you want to change them without giving them the opportunity to grow with you, right? So for me, motherhood did the same thing, where I read like 500 um, parenting books, you know, every which way of how to raise your child so they're kind and emotional intelligence were prioritized over everything else. And I come from a family who's like, no, you need to make sure that your child knows to work within a system so they can succeed in school and become successful. And the only success validated is good job, benefits, and financial security for life. When I think about that, And all the different tensions I had with this old school mothering style and like this more progressive mothering style, a lot of that comes out in the book because I feel like we don't have that conversation enough. And my judgment of people who weren't taking on some of my more progressive Mm -hmm. (laughs) ideas around motherhood, I think now in retrospect was wrong. Mm -hmm. Because I do think that we all need to mother the way that we know how to mother, all the studies are coming back, that if love is at the center, a lot can happen in mothering that um, can still 
you know, breed um, or raise a beautiful person. So what I wanted to do with Cara Romero was have this character that is so flawed in some ways, but completely contradictory in her actions and the ways that she loves her nephews and the ways that she takes care of her neighbors, even if in some ways she couldn't really be there for her son. And, um, and as a writer, like, I just wanted to keep looking at her and thinking, how can I love this character more and be more generous with her and see her holistically? One of the central relationships in the book is Kata's friendship with her neighbor, Lulu. And they see each other every day. They support each other in countless ways. And at the same time, there are petty resentments and competitiveness that at times I thought almost border on mean-spiritedness. Uh, there were moments where I asked myself, you know, is Kata a bad friend? But Julie says she never once wondered that question. Really, what I'm trying to get at is um, whether there's something you want to tell us about the nature of their friendship. For me, Lulu and Kara's relationship are all about chosen family. They have each other for the most difficult moments of their lives and for the everyday moments of their lives. So all this petty um, back and forth really is like part of patriarchy and the way that it really is invested in turning women against each other, even when they love each other. And I think that it wouldn't have been an honest relationship if I didn't show the ways that we push and pull from each other as friends. But also, it's not just us. It's something that happens that's outside of us as well, that I think has to do with the mainstream narratives of what does it look like to be a partner? What does it look like to have anchor relationships that are not heteronormative or nuclear or, you know, conventional, in quotes, <laughs> because I realize most people live outside of the convention. I think that you can see the ways that Gara is slowly opening herself up in thinking about, wait, La Vieja Caridad has a full life very different than mine. You know, everybody has a different way that they can be in life and feel fulfilled and satisfied. And I wanted to validate that. I think if there's one theme of this wide-ranging conversation, it's visibility. There's Angie's book cover towering over 7th Avenue and how that and her GMA appearance brought her a new kind of attention from her family. And then there's Cara Romero, a middle-aged immigrant woman, three descriptors that often coincide with invisibility, but what I find myself thinking about most is the invisibility of Kata's labor. She works hard taking care of her neighbor and her sister's children, watching over her building, raising her son. But in our society, that kind of unpaid domestic work, it, it just doesn't count. Or at least it doesn't count nearly as much as it should. No, it really doesn't. And at the same time, the only thing that's visible, at least as far as the government is concerned, is her so-called unemployment. And while the job counselor provides her with a much-needed emotional outlet, Cara doesn't find paid work, partly because of her own actions, but more, I think, because of her circumstances and problems with the program. Regardless, the crystal clear reality is that she does vital work that our society has given a financial valuation of zero. Yeah, we definitely have a long way to go when it comes to recognizing the worth of women's labor and many other issues, which is another reason I'm so glad Angie wrote this fantastic book. 
I am too. And I think that's it for this episode of the Book Dreams podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Please subscribe if you haven't already. And if you like the podcast and think someone else would too, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. As always, you can reach us at contact at bookdreamspodcast.com. We're also on Twitter and Instagram. You can find Angie at angiecruz.com. Many thanks to our producer, Gianfranco Lentini, and to our theme music composer, Maya Polsky. You can find Eve at eveyohallam.com and me at juliesternberg.com. And check out the podcast website, www.bookdreamspodcast.com. Until next time, happy book dreaming. Happy book dreaming. Love, come listen to Book Dreams with Julie and me.